everybody, this is Leighton Lillis and welcome to the Wish We'd Become Rockstars podcast where every week I get together with my two old high school mates, Mike and Ben, and we discuss music. Mostly hard rock and heavy metal, but there's always a few surprises here. This week, for episode two of season two, we're going to discuss five shit albums by five great bands. And we all bring our suggestions to the table, and the debate starts. I hope you enjoy it. I'm going to start with one, Mike, that, that is probably going to infuriate you. But um, I just, I just, I'm just going to put it out there as well that, you know, last year we were all about the positivity and celebrating things. Kicking off 2022, it's a new year, it's a new way. And we're just going to start by having a, a I don't know, hour and a half session. of slagging match. Yeah. It's right. a, a bitch session about some really average albums. Just, a, just some negativity. That's what we want to kick off 2022 with. Yeah. Well, well, I'd actually say that often this, it might sound like we're being negative, but in actual fact, a lot of these albums that I was writing down were actually the turning points in some of those people's careers that ended up working the trajectory back up. So maybe they needed to happen. Oh, okay. One thing that came to this, though, is I was, if it's a shit album, you probably didn't give it as much of a listen as this, yes, you this is exactly would have what normally. I- that's what I struggled with when I was putting together the list because I thought immediately, I thought that's a great idea. There'll be a few of these. And what I found was exactly what you're saying. You sit there and go, oh, I didn't really like that. But then why didn't I like it? I don't remember because I only listened to it once and I didn't like it. I didn't so like I didn't it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't so, go back to it. So, so probably the more interesting th- thing here is going to be is if one of us mentions one and someone else is actually given it a lot of their time, it could be an interesting discussion. So give us your first one, Mike. What have you got? Well, you you were about to say that you had one there that was going to really annoy me. So help oh, me okay. With Kiss Revenge. But you bastard. Yeah, Kiss Revenge. You know, it's weird. Everyone says Kiss music from the Elder is their crap album. I actually uh, don't I, mind I love it, the actually. Elder. I love yeah, I don't one. mind the Elder. But Revenge... You know, it was when Kiss was saying we, we're making a great musical comeback. We believe in this music. It's our greatest album. I don't buy it. I don't like it. And, um, yeah, I'm going to put that as they were one of my favourite bands, but not one of my favourite albums. In fact, I'm going to go as far as to say it's a shit album. Oh, see, I love that album. I love that album. I think it's them at their at the peak of their musicality. I think... Eric Singer on drums, Bruce Kulick guitar. Paul still had the chops vocally to be able to do what he did. Gene at his songwriting best on some of those things. Unholy, just absolutely sizzles. I like um, Domino and Spit from him, I think, are great. Paul does some really nice, um, uh, you know, pop rock stuff i just wanna and all that i love it it's got god gave rock and roll to you too on it i think it's a banging album that that really saved them at that point they needed um a big hit because they were they were falling victim to some declining sales and things like that and and that album really pulled them back from the brink at that point it came at a very interesting time too didn't it it came at that sort of 1991 time where uh glam was eating itself and keyboards were starting to fade into the background because everyone had too synthy and most bands of their vintage 
we're starting to go, hang on a minute, let's just put those a bit further back in the mix. Well, and I mm. think Kiss, Kiss through the 80s as well had been very guilty of writing two or three good songs and then just going, well, we need to put an album out, so let's chuck a bunch of, bunch of others on there and throw it out. And I think with Revenge, they went, that's not going to be good enough anymore. We need to focus on it. So I heartily disagree, and you're right. I'm very annoyed. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, I do have a, I have a Kiss one on my list, so we'll see if it's the same one. No, it's just well, interesting that that, that that was I was trying to figure out why I didn't like it. And it's just the fact that I keep going back to other albums. Um, I'll never go back to that one. I, I never listen to it again. Don't you uh, find something like Crazy Nights a weaker album, though, which was really no, sort of... No, but you know what it is, though, Ben? I've realised over the years that my perception is often guided by my nostalgia for something. It's, it's funny. Like, for me, if I think of, say, Ozzy Osbourne, I've got a great deal of... Uh, a great deal of sort of um, favoritism, I guess, to uh, Ultimate Sin and Bark at the Moon. Yet, Ultimate yeah. Sin's probably his weakest album of the eighties. Like it was, he hates yes, it. it was, hated yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yes, it was my gateway album because yeah. I had your 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 uh, video was shot in the dark, and so I but could you go were, back. You to, were twelve. You were just getting into metal, and you were like, "Man, this is my thing." And so that's yeah. the funny thing where. It could be crap, but you're absolutely right. You're, it's baked in your nostalgia, and you just remember. I re I'm remembering the whole thing. I'm not just listening to the songs. So the songs, uh, yeah, still sit quite nicely with me. So, yeah. Um, sorry, Kiss, Mike, but I, I, you, revenge, you, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, I disagree. I, I wouldn't have picked that. Yeah, but anyway, I thought I'd kick that one off, and um, I don't have much to say why, other than. I don't like Domino. I don't really like Unholy. I don't like I Just oh. Water. I oh, don't man. like um, a Spit. Um, yeah, I like God Gave Rock and Roll to you, but it's not their, it's their version of a cover. Um, yeah. I didn't like the, the concert compared to like the Hot in the Shade tour and the Crazy Nights tour. Um, and I was glad that they got into makeup about three years later, you know, um, so there you go. Ah. <laughs> so I've kicked it off. There you, you have. Go. You have. Shots fired. Yeah. Fair enough. Off you go, Mike. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, go for an easy one here. Um, poison. Hollyweird. Poison, one of my favourite bands ever. Hollyweird, one of the... Worst albums ever put to to recording tape. It's and their last album. And their last recorded. album. But well, because they they reformed and they went out and toured and it had these huge selling tours around America. It was you know them and they'd bundled themselves up with some other bands from that era and and sell places out and highest grossing tour of a number of years and all that sort of stuff. And then the fans kept going, well, you've got to make some new stuff. You've got to make some new stuff. And so they did. And we heard it. And then no one's been asking them to make new stuff since then. No. There's not a whisper No argument. It. It's just. It was, beautifully, it was beautifully packaged, but it was <sighs> a terrible album. 
I don't even know if it was beautifully packaged. I think the, the cover looked like a cheap sort of clip art thing, you know. It was mm. they did a they did a um a sort of a live album called Power to the People, which had like five studio tracks and a bunch of live tracks to fill it out. And those were better. Um, but the Hollywood album is just this poorly mixed demos, you know. It's 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 uh, it's not good. Don't like it. That's all I have to say about that. Isn't looking to poison for a good album a bit like looking to McDonald's for a substance substance in your meal? Hey, yeah, true. Hey, <laughs> you just it's it's fast food music. Here's one for you. Ben Holland, Diver Down. Oh, it's on my list, Ben. It's, it's on my list. Yeah, ben, ben, I took it off my list because... It's Fish I, in a Barrel, it's, that one. Everybody says that. So, I mean, tell us I mean, why, first of all. It could, be, it could be an EP. It could be a four-track EP and be okay. There's so much filler on there. There's so much cover versions that are just unnecessary. There's, there's two or three good things, but there's not... Again, you get to the end of the album, it's 32 minutes of... Ugh, with some great solos. It's little guitars is good. Um, yeah, it just is that seriously the total runtime? 32 minutes. All of their first six albums were like between 32 and 35 minutes. I mean, it wasn't that oh, yeah. unusual back then, but it's just there is nothing it it you wouldn't put an album out of that little substance today. No, no, you're you you're right, Ben. I I did have that on my list because it's like everybody would say that. Um, and, and I'm going to throw something at you guys um, that my brother said to me. He, and it's, it finds itself in a lot of these types of lists as the worst album by a great band. Everyone seems to list Van Halen 3. And I want your guys' thoughts on that because, of course, I gave that a lot of listening time by virtue of the fact that we saw them in concert. Um, I thought the, the album was all right. What do you think? How do you think it's aged? I, I think the production is a little muddy. I think it could have done with a little more editing. I don't think it's a bad album, but I, when I no. think of it, I always think what they should have done is taken a year off from Sammy, all gone their separate ways, and for all intents and purposes, it's an Eddie solo album. I mean, there's no Michael Anthony harmonies on there. It's got a new front man and I think it would have fared better if Ed said I'm going to put out a solo album rather than putting it out under the band banner so I don't dislike it I think it's got some cool stuff on there yep. I don't think it's aged badly but I think when you're coming from the partying of David LaRoth years and the sort of the the pop rock or the of the Hagar years and it's it's a darker album um yeah just don't think it's it doesn't sit nicely in the Van Halen canon, but that's not to say it's a bad album. No, I like it. And, and also, and also, as we've discussed before, when you know that they were that they had just done Humans Being and Me Wise Magic, they were on a purple patch. Yeah, and I, it was just a misstep in the way, wasn't it? It was a real misstep. I, I don't know. But you know, you could we could make some assumptions and say both of those. There was some creative tension with Roth for Mewise Magic for Hagar with Humans Being, and that's what makes some of the stuff work. It's it's that classic yeah. Jagger Richards Tyler Perry thing. Gary Sharon was clearly 
the 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 new guy, the salaried employee, if you like, and he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't equal partners. So I would say he was dictated to do a lot more than one of the other guys might have said, no, bugger off. I'm I'm going with a happy, a happy chorus here rather than this. Yeah, so yeah. that's where I think it's far more eddy without the input of a front man. It's more of it's yeah. more a session vocalist doing as he's told. Yeah. Yeah. And and not to downplay Gary Sharon, I mean he he had pedigree, but he certainly wasn't Sammy around 5150, no. who'd was an arena seller himself. Sammy talks about that a lot now in the interviews, doesn't he? That um everyone always says, always makes up that Van Halen with this juggernaut, and he was he's the guy that got asked to join, but he he was you know, an arena selling act himself, wasn't he, at the time? Yeah. yeah. He was one of those all-American guys that I guess you didn't hear much about outside of the States, but a bit like your Bob Seegers or your, your yeah. Ted Regents, they were they were big deals and they could have, you know, they had healthy careers and they were, yeah. Yeah. Mm. All right, I'm, I'm going to throw one at you guys. Guns N' Roses, the spaghetti incident. Ah! Uh... I hummed and hard about I, this one. Ain't, I love Ain't It Fun, but apart from that, there ain't much I like on that album. I am denied about putting this on or not because, um, you know, you, you go through your bands and go, what are their worst albums? Um, and, it, it, look, it's clearly the worst Guns album, I think, but I still quite like it. I don't mind it. You know, I think... Um, I actually quite like the one they did as the single, the Since I Don't Have You, the sort of the 50s yeah. or 60s pop one. I quite like that. I don't mind it. Um, but after the grandeur of the illusions and um, and, and also it's interesting, um, I mean, the elephant in the room is the Chinese democracy, but I actually didn't mind the Chinese democracy. What did you guys I, think of that? I really like it. Yeah. I really like it. It's got a couple of tracks on there that are a bit um, iffy for me, but what album doesn't, you know? But as as a as a piece of work, I think it's great. Yeah. It's, it's not a Guns N' Roses album. It's an Axl Rose solo project album, but it's that's not a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you certainly realised on that album that Slash has a certain way. Well, and, and if you listen to Alan Niven, their old manager, Mrs. Izzy as well. Um, yeah. On that album, you know, it's a songwriting. And Duff. Yeah. You know, it's well, this is back to the same old thing. Is it, is it when you have someone like Axel Rose that probably is just calling all the shots and not having any tension in the studio of, of an equal saying, no, we, we can't do it that way. It, 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 you know, creative tension is a is a thing that sometimes yep. works. You know, yeah. Yep. So that was uh, that was number two for me. Spaghetti incident. Sure. Yep. Um. All right. So we we're back to me, are we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I'm going to go slightly outside our normal genre. But I feel like this is a another super obvious one. I'm going to go with Queen, and five points if you can guess the album. Hot Space. Hot Space. Five points. Ben Williams. There you go. Where Freddie went all disco. He 
Yes. Yeah. They went to Munich and uh, Freddie discovered a nightlife in Munich that he enjoyed and he wanted to make that into an album. And the rest of them all went, okay. And it's horrendous. It is absolutely horrendous. What what was the single off it? Well, look, there's, there's one song on there, which is absolute Queen classic. And that's the only thing that saves it. And it's under pressure. Oh, under pressure came off that album, but it's so out of place with everything else that's on that album. Um, and there was—I don't think there was—I mean, there probably was another single off it, but I don't know what it would have been. It's certainly not one that they go back to these days. I think it was that camp. Is it body language? Body language, yeah. And it was sort of Freddie's take on Olivia Newton-John. I think I've seen bits of the video, and it was just bad. The whole the whole thing sounds like Freddie Mercury singing the village people, basically. Yeah. It's it's all right. So so at that time was Brian May like was, it, was everything a bit fractured or at, was at that time just... Brian May was in Los Angeles making Starfleet project with Eddie. <laughs> making and what, Ben? What was that? They they did this album called Starfleet. And it was basically a series of jams between Brian May and Eddie Van Halen. Yeah. You won't find it on any streaming services, I don't think, but it's um, if you can track it down. I've got it on cassette somewhere. Oh, okay. I've never heard of that in my life. And so what? that was around what year? I think that came out, Queen came out, I'm going to say 82, and Starfleet came out in 83. Oh, so it actually was released? Yeah. There you go. Well, just instrumentals or? Yep. It's a project by Brian May. Um, so it predated 5150, which he bought in 1984 or thereabouts. So it was it wasn't recorded there. Um, who else was on there? Oh, no one you'd know. Roger Taylor did some backing vocals, but interesting. Anyway. Wow. Okay, well, no, I, I can't say I'm familiar with the album. So, d- did no, you have it in your in your album arsenal, Mike? The, well, there's a reason you wouldn't be familiar with it, and it's because it's awful. <laughs> so, um, I, I didn't have it in. I never had it on CD or anything like that. It was probably one of those things when streaming first became a thing, and Queen are one of my you know, top five bands. I put them up there with the Beatles, basically. They're, yep. they're amazing. Um, and so I went, well, I need to go back and listen to every single album track they've ever done, which I obviously hadn't done before. Um, and as you do that, you go through the albums, you go, man, these guys are consistent. They're just, you know, the, obviously <laughs> albums have highs and lows, but every album has you know, minimum three great tracks and then some other good ones. And as you go through and then you get to hot space and you go, what the fuck is this? (laughs) And then I've sort of seen enough sort of docos on Queen now to go, oh, that's when when hot space was made, when they they basically, they, they had no idea what to do with themselves and and Freddie was getting a bit frustrated and wanted to, you know, he, he was always looking for the next big thing. He didn't want to keep sounding the same on every record. 
And unfortunately, this time in his effort to sound different, he went in a different direction. Now, look, there, there are probably people out there that might love it. Well, no one can no one can dispute the um, under pressure. I mean, God, what a what a what a well, great that, song un, that is. Under pressure was an outlier because it wasn't. Yeah, that should have been a single. Oh, and it wasn't it wasn't part of that process. It was really a, a oh. thing of of they were out on the on the town one night, and David Bowie was in town, and they all went out and drank a bit too much, and said, "Oh, let's go back to the studio and record a song." And they did under pressure, like in a night. If the rumours would be believed, you know, they just recorded it and went kaboom, there it is. Right. And it was completely separate to the rest of the recording process, which as Ben has alluded to, half of them weren't even around for it. It was really Freddie trying to take control and, and make it his own thing. Interesting. Interesting. Ben, what you got? Iron Maiden Virtual 11, one of the mm. two Blaze Bailey albums that they the second and final one and it's interesting because in the 90s all of these bands iron maiden judas priest van halen there's a couple of others motley crew they all had replacement front men yeah and they all took a bit of a, a dive for it and virtual 11 it's a it's a band where the front man doesn't have any real sense of melody it plods and um the next one that came out after that was after Bruce and Adrian rejoined. Kevin Shirley was producing, and it's just a study in opposites. One is this lumbering, plodding thing, and I don't even really like Blaze Bailey as a vocalist. And the next one mm. is this well-produced, arranged, and it was I think it was produced by Steve Harris as well. So when you got the bass player producing and a new frontman, it's just, it's hard work. There's some good songs on there. There's one song called... Um, the Klansmen, which is a yeah. great song. Now they do it periodically with Bruce, and it's become this massive sing-along, particularly in South America. But the album is um, it's hard work. Is, is that yeah, one of those right. cases, Ben, where if, um, like you, you mentioned Motley Crue, where you listen to some of that and you go, oh, man, if Vince had sung that, how good would that have been? No, because I never thought Vince was that good, to be honest. Yeah, sure. But is it is it a case of if Bruce had done this album, it would have been better, or is it just the songwriting's not up to snuff? I think the songwriting's not up to snuff, and I think yeah. production's weak, and I think if you'd had an external producer in there, they would have said five minutes is long enough, and go away yeah, and read yeah, it yeah. for us, boys. Yep. But isn't that, just to circle back to what I said um, earlier, wasn't that just the the impetus for this great resurgence that Maiden have had that continues to this day is they probably needed to reach rock bottom to get to, to realize they needed Bruce back and they needed to make this whole thing right again. Yep. And it's interesting. I was listening to a Doc McGee interview the other day and he said, he was saying that most bands that are at this end of their lifespan or, or their careers they've had to learn from some horrible failures to get them back on the right track and go yep. and move on. And he said, you know, when you look back, Jim Morrison and Janis Joplin and Jimi Hendrix, they died so young, they didn't have the time to fail. They, yep. you know, they one were still might, on that role. Yeah, they were still on that role. And he said, and he, he used a whole lot of examples, basically all the 27-year-old deaths, you know, even Kurt Cobain, yep. you know, 
Kurt Cobain probably would have ended up having everyone. If you're hanging on you're going to make a stinker, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, I look at that Iron Maiden, certainly. I mean, they've ended up just totally expanding, especially in certain markets, probably not New Zealand, but probably Australia and definitely Europe and South America. And it all came off the back of pulling out that stinker, Virtual 11. I've hardly listened to it, uh, Ben. I, I, I switched off Maiden around that point. I remember listening to uh, to Bruce Bruce Dickinson had some solo albums that I used to listen to, but yeah. Funnily Um, enough, he put an album out the same year Virtual Eleven came out, and it was a cracker. It was really heavy. I think the guitarist put bass strings on his guitar to make it sound heavy. It's a really, it's called The the Chemical Wedding, produced by a guy called Roy Z. Completely different, really, really interesting, and like you went, actually, this is quite engaging. Virtually, yeah, yeah. not so much. <laughs> so, so when was Tattooed Millionaire? Was that while he was still in Maiden? Yeah, that came out 89 or 90, so that was his first right. one. And that was, yeah. Interesting. Um, okay. Um, what have I got here? I'm just going to cross uh, Nirvana off my list because apparently Kurt Cobain was still in his creative high, so I've got to... Take that one out. There we go. All right. Um, okay. I mean, one of my favorite bands, Bon Jovi, Lost Highway. Trying to be country. Oh. It was the start for me of when I kind of felt that they the authenticity had gone out the window a little bit. And yeah, not 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 see now I've now got- my like. I've got Bon Jovi on my list because it's supposed to be favourite bands with shit albums, not just people we don't like, um, but not that one. I I don't. I have a bit of time for that one. I don't mind it. I don't mind it as a they. They felt to me a relatively natural fit for country. You've got the whole wanted thing that kind of yep. leads them down that path that made me go, this isn't as contrived as, um, you know, Vanilla Ice doing a hardcore rap album with some industrial dunk behind them, you know, which you just go, oh, that's just bullshit. It, it, it felt like that, that's, that's a legitimate sideways direction to go, you know. Mm. Um, I'm just trying to find it on my list here so I can... Uh, have a look at what's on it. Like it's it's not a, it's not a great album, you know what I mean. But the the title track "Lost Highway," I'd put that on a road trip playlist happily. Oh yeah, you know. I would, um, I would go so far as to call that album a cheese fest. It is. It, it's a hundred percent a cheese fest, and there's a couple of. Um, but that that's the Nashville thing, though, isn't it? So Bon Jovi does Nashville, all right. You get um, Till We Ain't Strangers Anymore with Leanne Rhymes. That's as as good as anything I've heard Leanne Rhymes do, which probably isn't a, a lot, but, you know, I don't mind it. Um, you want to make a memory I quite like? Yeah, I don't mind that. You know, what, yeah. you know what it is, actually? It's probably the ballads I quite like. Um Things like the we got it going on and all that sort of stuff. I'm not as big a fan of, but 
Yeah, it's the kind of thing I can imagine on in the background while you're making fun of some down-home hick in his cowboy hat, and you're actually poking fun of them, and he doesn't realise that. He thinks you're one of them. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, Mike. I, I, I just love I love the Bounce album. It had an intensity to it after 9-11. Yes, I love I don't the Bounce mind album the, too. I don't mind the Have a Nice Day album. I thought Have a Nice Day, but like um, – What's that one that he, uh, this house is not for sale, similar type vein, uh, yep. cool rocking tune and, and other cool songs on it. But yeah, Lost Highway for me. I reckon not into it. The, the Bon Jovi ones I had, because I've got a couple on my list. Um, in, the, in the first one, I think it, it, it's an odd one because usually bands will put out an album and you go, oh, that's great, and then they're always kind of chasing that a little bit for the rest of their careers. But Bon Jovi took three albums to get it right, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't really till Slippery that you went, oh, here's a great band. Their first album, I I can't come at that. There's not much on there that makes me come back to it. Runaway, obviously, is it, it's fine. Um, but geez, that's I find that a hard listen. Interesting, yeah. The first um, one, I remember buying that album straight after I got Slippery because I wanted to sort of take on all of the other things. And, um, I mean, I quite like it, um, but yeah, okay. Was there another one that you've got in their repertoire? Well, I, I think, I think the one, the elephant in the room with Bon Jovi is The Circle, isn't it? Isn't that their, their lowest point? I think the circle. What about now? Burning bridges. There's like three albums that I think are not that good. Yep. That was when yeah. I switched off that band. I wasn't even that interested at all. Uh, the, the circle, is, the the circle is the one sale. for me. That um, the first two tracks I really like. We went born to follow, and when we were beautiful, and then the rest of it just could be, you know, vacant space. It's it's yeah, yeah. it's not great. That's well, the there's one. a whole lot of songs here. I, a whole lot of songs here I don't even know, to be honest. I was trying to think yeah. of Love's and the Only Rule, Fast Cars, Broken Promised Land. Yeah, you've heard them, but you've, you've, because you've listened to it, I'd guarantee you've listened to it. Yeah. But you couldn't, you couldn't pick them out of a lineup if your life depended on it. No. No, don't disagree with you at all. It was, it was the start of the end for me with that band, but, um, yeah, this house is not for sale. It's been a bit of a turning point, and you know, post Richie, um, and twenty twenty is all right. Ben loves twenty twenty. I do. He does. Hmm. <laughs> what, what you got, Ben? Chris Cornell scream. Mm. He mm. did. He did Euphoria morning after Soundgarden before Audio Slave. He did another album called Carry On directly after Audio Slave, which had the Bond theme on it and a cover of Billie Jean, which was good. Which was great, and yeah. It was a good album. Um, it was quite a soulful album. And then about 2009, 2010, he did this dance album with Timberland producing. Mm -hmm. And why? I mean, directly in amongst Soundgarden getting back together, he started doing his acoustic stuff, and his acoustic live album is just brilliant. It's, Unbelievable. It's, yeah. it's so good. But in amongst his solo catalogue, which is generally pretty good, 
there's this absolute steaming turd. <laughs> I wonder why you went there. Was it just trying to become relevant again? Like, have you, you know, seen any interviews from around I think that period? It's one of those things where people go, actually, you know what? I just want to try something different for myself. And it just, yep. I don't know who's chasing the dollar, but it just. I think probably quite the opposite. I don't think he gave a shit at that point. Yeah, no. I think he just wanted to do something for himself for not, a bit of fun. It's not the electronica that I dislike because I quite like Generation Swine in terms of rock bands who do something electronic. It just, it doesn't work. Yeah. Nothing no, about actually endears you to that album. No, 100%. I have to say I'm not that familiar with it. I mean, I, I was a big fan of him and Soundgarden and, and more so an Audio Slave, actually. I thought that was one of the most amazing collaborations when yeah. when Audio Slave came out. Um, but I do regret, did, did either of you see him solo when he did those? Because I do regret not seeing him in a theatre. I would have thought that was amazing. I saw him. Um, I saw him with Audio Slave in Auckland. Me too. At the town hall. I think. Yeah, yeah. We went to the town hall and saw Audio Slave, and they were fucking incredible. They were. And then I saw him in a five-day period here in late 2016. I saw ACDC at Marvel Stadium. Sound was awful. I saw Hailstorm somewhere in the city. It wasn't bad. And I saw Chris Cornell solo down at the Palace in um, St Kilda. And it was nice. just, it was brilliant. It was, and he, he just didn't hit a bar because you went into it going, uh, can he, I don't think that, I don't think the live album had come out then, or if it had, I didn't have it. Um, so I went into it thinking, is he going to tune down a bit? Can he still hit the high notes? And from the very first song, you just, you just sat there going, Jesus Christ, that, Absolutely nailed it. And the fact that and, it was just him and a guitar, and I think there's a couple of songs he had a cello player with him, that was it. Yeah. And a man on guitar, it can, it can go wrong if if you haven't got that ability to keep the crowd engaged. I mean, there's not a lot of dynamic, so he obviously nailed that down pat, Ben. It was this, It was how much soul he... It, it, was the, the, it was a bit like Miles Kennedy. It was just the voice strikes. You go, bloody hell, but it was, it was so soulful as well. Whereas if you listen to Glenn Hughes, sometimes when you're hearing Glenn Hughes sing, you're thinking, come on, bro, tone it down. We know you can do it. Whereas Chris <laughs> Cornell was flexing all his muscle, but it was still engaging. It was just one of those, you know, one of the great voices. Yeah, interesting. Um, well, Ben, you just mentioned something a moment ago, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you with it now because I've written down here Motley Crue Generation Swine. I don't like the album. I think it is crap. Um, I never gave it much of a listen, uh, but I tried to listen to it again one other time. I, I don't get it. Can you guys give me your thoughts really on, on on what it is about that album other than Vince rejoining the band that, that that you know? I'm on, I'm on team Ben with this one. I really like it. Yeah, why? I think it's I think it's an oddity because I think they did a lot of pre-production work and some early recording with Karabi, and then they brought Vincent. So I think it's got a there's some influence in there because there was essentially an extra, maybe not a writing partner, but a some extra input. Yeah, it it's a it's little a, long. There's a it's couple not of a, elements on there. Yeah, it's not a great album, but it's good enough, you know. And there's it's interesting. It's interesting. It's not dull, and it's not um, because it is. It's a total 
uh, it's a bit of a departure. They're obviously trying some new stuff, um, but it's not just for the sake of it, if that makes sense. It's not just them chasing something because it, you can feel there's a genuine interest in them doing what they're doing. It's not just, oh, we need to write an album that sounds like this. Let's do mm. that. Mm. Um, it, fe- it feels authentic to me. I don't think it's just uh, um, because, yeah, obviously, with, with Vince coming back in, you would think what they would do is Dr. Feelgood and Prime or the, Screen. Or the, or, the new, or the new tattoo album that was yet to come. The new tattoo album, which was yet to come, which I also really like. Um, but, you know, you would think that that's what would be the output. That's what people wanted to hear. So they didn't do it for that reason. They did it because that's what they wanted to do. Um, but and you're right, Ben. It's not, it's not. There's some. There's a couple of duffers on there. But I, I like fucking. Brandon. Brand, I mean Brandon. Well, that's an outlier. That's almost not on the album. But we've talked about this before. That version of "Shout at the Devil." I almost yep. prefer to the original. Yep. I agree. To be honest, um, find myself. I really dig. Um. Beauty, I really quite like, which is the only time you'll ever hear me say that about Tommy Lee's vocals. Um, you know, it's interesting. Even stuff like Rat Like Me, I quite enjoy. You know, there's there's some good things on there. There's some missteps on there. I think Glitter is a bit of a turd, and there's a couple of other things in there that I'm not as big a fan of, but. Yeah, I guess it's, at the time... It's not my least favourite crew album, I'll put it that way. Right, right. Okay, interesting. Um, I mean, can I just venture that that your worst crew album is probably Theatre of Pain? Or You are correct, yeah. You see, for me, this is a bit like what I was saying about Ultimate Sin. I, I know it was, yet after... Yeah, it's like I often call Girls, Girls, Girls my favourite, not Dr. Feelgood. Why? It was my first album I got of theirs. I... I just absorbed it. Um, oh, and Theatre of Pain, I got, I got, yeah, I got, I got Theatre of Pain not long after. Um, but yeah. Um, anyway, Theater, so Theatre of Pain was saved by the fact that Home Sweet Home's on it. Yeah, and Smoking in the Boys' Room, I guess Smoking at the time the was room. a sure. yeah. Smoking in the Boys' Room is a cover, a little bit, which yeah. was still a big hit for them. But I think if you just had that without Home Sweet Home, I don't know that it would have um, resonated as well. Home Sweet Home was this massive crossover hit. Um, I sent you guys that thing about MTV having to implement the crew rule when they had their video charts every week because Home Sweet Home topped it for so long that they had to rewrite the criteria about what could be number one. Otherwise, Home Sweet Home would have been there for a year and they, they couldn't deal with it because at that point they hadn't really had that sort of thing, you know? Right. Interesting. Um, do, have you guys, um, you're probably not as into superhero stuff as me, so you guys haven't watched the Peacemaker TV series? No. Is that, um, I just saw an advert last night. Is that um, Channing Tatum? It's John Cena. Oh, so you, right. you'd, yeah. you'd be forgiven for making that mistake because they're recent. So John Cena has he was in um, the Suicide Squad movie with 
James Gunn, who did the Guardians of the Galaxy stuff. He's directed this Suicide Squad movie for DC now. One of the characters in there now has a spinoff thing. And it's basically this pumped-up superhero, but the whole thing with it is James Gunn's thing is he likes to put music into his stuff. So with Guardians of the Galaxy, it was all this old sort of 70s ELO and that sort of thing. And with the Peacemaker series, it's 80s hair rock. That's right. what he's thrown into it. Um, and there's, you know, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen about episode six, there's a home sweet home thing in there. John Scenery sits down and plays on the piano and does this little home sweet home thing, which apparently he actually plays as a professional wrestler. There you go. That's how to play it. Anyway, I digress. There you go. Mike, throw us one. All right. What have we got? All right, I'm going to go for another one which feels a little bit like shooting fish in a barrel. Metallica, Saint Anger. What yeah. the, you know, it, it's, it's not the worst Metallica album ever because Lulu is the worst Metallica album ever, their collaboration with Lou Reed. I quite, quite like that. Oh, my God. Um, but <laughs> Saint, Saint Anger just... I get it. I get that they'd done load and reload, um, which a lot of their core fan base didn't like, and they went, you know what, we're just going to do something really fucking hardcore. But I just think even from that point of view, it just missed the mark on every level for me. It just, again, it, it's, got, it's got the feel of, of a bunch of demos that never really got anywhere. I agree. But you know what? It could be fixed. I would say get Bob Rock back in, drop some samples in to fix up the tin can, the trash can snare. Oh, man, how bad is that snare? If, 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 you, if you remixed that album and edited it a bit, I would say it could be a completely different listening experience. But in its current form, you're right. It's... I just, I just don't know that the songs are there, though, Ben. I don't know that there's... Um, there's no... I mean, pick a Metallica song. There's there's no sanitarium on there. There's no... Uh, I, I, I think a bit of post-production arranging, rearranging, yeah. could could probably turn it from let's call it a four a four or a five into a seven or an eight yeah look maybe maybe mm. i just feel like um, did you the songs weren't in it there were the it, it, the production is bad um but the songs weren't there to start with on that one for me yeah did you did you um did they lose you as a fan at that point, Mike, or did you come back around Death Magnetic? Because I, I, that was another one I did get back into. Uh, look, I've, I've found it hard to come back, to be honest. I've seen them live since then and enjoyed it, and they've played a couple of things. Um, I think I saw them on the Death Magnetic tour um, and enjoyed it, but I haven't given that album a big listen, and I haven't sort of, yeah. no. No, I think, I think that... that kind of did put me off a bit well i think the world the world agreed with you with st anger i don't think no i mean it got it got slated didn't it pretty much across the board i blame, what you got, I blame, ben? 
I blame the therapist they brought in to assist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> was that yeah. that? I mean, that. Though? Yeah, it was. Yeah, was it? Because remember, because Jason Newstead had because Jason Newstead had, had had been fired or left or yeah, whatever he'd yeah. done, and they were they were trying to audition bass players, and they got Robert Trujillo, and um, yeah, so it's, this is the documentary. I mean, they were they were a mess. Oh, there you go. It's totally that guy's fault. Yeah, yeah, he's probably dead now. But you know, yeah. What you well, got, he Ben? Didn't, he didn't look very healthy at the time. Um, <laughs> maybe it was just his complexion didn't go well with those dreadful jumpers he wore. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I to say, Tin Machine Two, which was a David Bowie band project. It was the second mm. album, and it was just. Um, it's the, the bottom of the entire Bowie canon of 26 or 27 albums. The first album he did with Tim Machine was quite good. It was different. The second album, like a few albums that we've covered off, it, the production wasn't great. The songs weren't great. It was just underwhelming. Yeah. What, was what it, year was what? that, Ben? It was 91. He did 89. He did the first Tin Machine. And then he did a solo tour, a very lucrative one, in 90. And then 91, Tin Machine 2 came out. And, I mean, the guitarist from Tin Machine, Reeves Gabrell, stayed with him right through the 90s when he went back to his solo career. Mm. And Reeves Gabrell's is awesome. He actually plays for the Cure these days. Um, what, what do you think it is, Ben, when you've got an artist like Bowie who says, and now I'm not going to be David Bowie anymore, I'm going to form a band and I'm going to be the singer in the band. But you're not, though, are you? Because the only reason anyone's listening to this is because David Bowie's in it. <coughs> so You could call it a vanity project, I guess. Yeah. But the thing is, he had such an eclectic discography that you go, I actually like most of it. I really like Young Americans, which is quite a disco album. I really like, so most of it I like, but, but this was sort of a, a rock album. And I just went, no. Yeah. Well, he was always a chameleon, though, that guy, yeah. wasn't he? He was able it's just to just. I think that the other problem is with a lot of people is when you get, when you, when you, when you, the, the bar is so high with your catalogue, when you put out something anything less than stellar, and he put out a couple of a couple of lemons in the eighties. You go, hang on, bro. We know you're capable of much better, and we expect more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I take it there wasn't a Tin Machine three. No, no, there wasn't. That's when <laughs> he went off and he got back into doing. So he, I really like his nineties output because he got quite he did quite a lot of. Um, next album was quite dancey and the next one was quite industrial before industrial was a thing and it was him and yeah. brian eno just making noises and then building songs around it and it's oh, what was that one called outside um, yes yeah, yeah, yeah. lesson and hello space boy and it's a yeah. great it's, it's a little too long as an album but it's a great album that's that's right about when i started working in the record store when yep. that one came out and it was one of those ones that you listen to it and you go, I, th I think this is actually really good, but it's a hard sell to David Bowie fans that just want to hear changes in space oddity. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And here was a 50 year old man going, I'm going to make some real noise here. Yeah. And I'm going to do whatever I want. Yeah. And it's aged really well. But yeah. 
So, yeah, I noticed it's not even on Spotify, Ben. So uh, the Tim Machine one album is from '89, but was it that bad that even Spotify doesn't want to no, stream it? No, it was it was one of those albums. Everyone's got one of these in their catalogue. Generally, it it was picked up by the wrong record company who went broke yeah. thereafter, and there was distribution issues and right. blah blah blah, and then yeah. And that was I, st- I still find that amazing that there are there's in this day and age where you should be able to access everything at the touch of a button, that there's still stuff that you can't get on Spotify because there's some, and it's not a big label. In fact, it's the opposite. It's because they're teeny tiny that they can't be putting it on. And Spotify. ultimately, it's because some some lawyer sitting in New York or London has got someone's balls and advice, and they're saying you're not touching it, you you know, or I'll sue you or or I want $2 million. It's Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, i got another one. Um, I mean, I did end up coming up with more than five here. Uh, i got another one that's probably controversial for you, uh, Mike. Uh, Def Leppard slang. Motherfucker. Come <laughs> on, man. Throw me a bone. I, I even tried listening to that again when we did our Def Leppard special, but I, I don't. I mean, I know it was the turning point for that band, but, oh, it's a oh, hard it was, listen for it, me. It was a turning point, but not in a good way. It was, um, that was, that was their, they, they had left Mut, Lang and all that yeah. and decided we're going to have to do something different here. They saw the writing on the wall. They knew what was happening, so they tried something different and it, Turned around and bit them on the ass, and so they then came back with uh, "When Love and Hate Collide," which is probably my favourite Def Leppard song ever. But it's it's back Classic, to that classic Leopard, yeah. Back to that formula. Now, look, "Slang" is an album. I'm not going to sit here and say it's an awesome album because it's not, right? But what I will say is it's got, in, in for me to be an absolute turkey, it's got to be mostly dross and you might get one you know what i mean like hot space had under pressure had one to me slang's got two or three that are good you know it's got i really like um deliver me i think is good it's a that's quite a fast sort of a chunky one and then it's got some good ballads on it breathe a sigh is good blood runs cold is good um where Does Love Go When It Dies is, is a good ballady one. But I, I can't sit here and say that the title track is great or that the rest of it is good. I can't, I can't defend it that much. But it's, it's got enough on it to make me go, it's not an absolute own goal. You know what I mean? There's, there's enough mm. going on that I can... I, they've done worse, I reckon. Okay, yeah. I mean... It, it's kind of like kicking a kicking a dude when he's when he's down, because yeah. it was at their darkest time, and oh, they were it, trying to navigate those waters. But they've come back out on top. But yeah, um, well, that's the argument, though. Have they, or are they just now? I mean, yeah, they can play stadiums because they've got hysteria and pyromania behind yeah. them. But no, no one's coming out to watch them play stadiums because of songs from the Sparkle Lounge. No, no. No, so they, they died as a recording act at that point, pretty much. Um, did you guys end up listening to the entire Joe Rogan, David Lee Roth uh, interview? Mm, no. 
what I what I did listen to with Joe Rogan was his interview with the doctor that caused all the outrage. And I went, hang on a minute, this isn't nearly as con. This is just the press taking sound bites and all waving, and then Neil Young having a sook about it and pulling his music off Spotify. It was a it was a really boring, balanced doctor just giving his view on some things. The way it was portrayed in the press was. He's some mad, weirdo, anti-vaxxer conspiracy theorist. Wow, ben, okay. No, ben, you're, you're either column A or you're column B. There's no room for anything else. It, that's it. All right. I was, I was expecting some really, some really big, I was like, okay, it's it's one dude interviewing another dude. It's not like. No, no, no. You're not, you're not allowed to agree with Joe on some things and then disagree with them on others. You've got to either agree with him as a human being in his entirety or execute him. That's it. You can't have, I agree with him about this and I thought he was a dickhead about that. You can't do that. It's one or the other. No. So yeah. pick one right now. Pick one. Pick one. Pick one. Neil Young. Pick one. So clowns. Do you, know, yeah. do you know what I loved about that whole thing where Neil Young took his songs off and I think Joni Mitchell took her songs off or something like that? James Blunt, who I'm not a fan of musically per se, but his Twitter game is fucking yep. strong, man. He's yep. great. He turned around and said, if Spotify don't take Joe Rogan off immediately, I'm going to release some new music. <laughs> I just thought, man, there is a guy that is not only self-aware, but fucking brilliant. That's great. He did, he, he did the same thing to the Labour government because over here with all those protesters by the Beehive, they started playing... I think the sound of music or the wiggles or something like that. And James Blunt trying to drive people to away. Yeah. Yeah. To the New Zealand government and said, please play my albums. I'm sure they'll absolutely love it, you know, on repeat. So he's obviously pretty self aware. Um, he's totally just, just going, it's very good. Just going back to the whole thing of the Joe Rogan, David Lee Roth uh, interview, there was a really funny thing that David Lee Roth said amongst his three hours of, of <laughs> chatter was that, um, he likes to think that that the he wants to know as a fan that Bruce Springsteen is writing and recording music. Is he going to listen to it? No, but <laughs> it means a lot to him as a fan <laughs> to know that, that that you're still out there giving it a go. And I thought it was yeah. a really interesting thing because that's what that's all about. Is um, I don't like to think they're just sitting there trying to regurgitate. There's still some fire in their belly, but. Am I that worried about the new Def Leppard album? No. Um, but, yeah, they're musicians. You'd hope they are still recording. Well, and how, how great would it be, right, if you were listening to something tomorrow and you just went, oh, fuck, that's great. What's Holy shit, that's Def Leppard. How good would that be? Yeah. You can never pick your hit, and, you know, sometimes no. one reason or another it just it cuts through. So it is good they're still recording, but um, it's probably well, good that Poison are not recording. Still recording. What was their last studio album? It's a self-titled one. Self-titled 2015, seven years ago. I think to say they're still recording is possibly a stretch. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. But I, th um, I think there's... Anyway. A, would, would the Stones be... One of the few that are probably still they're they're as sporadic as Def Leppard. A lot of bands are. They, you know, you might get one a decade or one every six years. Or I mean, even Metallica now, it's one every seven or eight years. So yeah. 
Yeah, probably once, the, once once the money dropped away from the albums, I guess it, it had a, a, a large part to play. McCartney just put an album out. Well, he's he's a machine. There's a guy. There's a guy. Yeah. Anyway, that what's, was my one. What's, what's your what's your least favorite McCartney album? Ben, oh, what's, what's oh, his turkey? What's oh, his turkey? I, I haven't listened to all of his albums, but. That give my regards to Broad Street thing that he did was that. See, I cut that some slack because it's got some good Beatles tunes on there. Um, yeah. and some I'd say the, pre- the predecessor of Pipes of Peace was getting a little, uh, and nah. the, after it called Press Play, I think in '86. Sure, but I mean he's had a purple patch for the past most things he's put out for the past fifty years. Fifty years, sixty years. Note to note to every other musician: be more like Paul. Be more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, look, that's what they were trying to do, isn't it? Yeah, that's what we're all trying to do: be more like Paul. That's right. He, he's he's generally a happy fucking guy too, which is a pretty good moral and how to live your life. And I do like the fact that some albums he has abandoned, some albums he says, "I really like playing the drums, so I just started and ended up doing everything." Oh. Yeah, Jesus. Let, let's all be Paul McCartney. Yeah, yeah. If only we could be. Yeah, it's it's you know it's the, it's that whole thing of um, often think about this with religion where there's there's a, a certain brand of people that go let's go through the Bible and find all the rules and tell people what they can't do and all this <laughs> sort of stuff, and then there's other people who go, what would Jesus do? You know what Jesus would do? He'd go, don't be a dick. Be nice to each other and don't fucking sweat it. That's what Jesus would do. That's what he did. That's what he did. So, you know, of those two, which one would you rather be? Be Paul McCartney. Paul 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 McCartney or Jesus, yeah, yeah. Paul McCartney's Jesus, that's what I'm saying. John Lennon said it in the 60s and he got in a lot of trouble for it, but I'm saying it now and I'm sure it'll be fine. Exactly, exactly. You give me a songwriter who you would say overall subjectively and objectively you would rate higher than Paul McCartney or is better than Paul McCartney. No. It's a a hard sell, isn't it? No, for sure. What you got there, Mike? What's your last one? Because I'm done. They're my five. Last? I've got heaps. What are you talking about? Uh, (laughs) Pick the biggest stinker then. Jeez, I've, got a, I've got a few here. I made, I made a big list. I, I thought you said 10, not five. Well, I, right, I can throw I'll, a couple out just while, just to finish my list off. I did have Cinderella, Heartbreak Station, Poison Native Tongue, and Skid Row Subhuman Race. You just, what are you doing? You're going through, have you got access to my Spotify and you're just trying to, Pick out my most plaids and shit on me, you son of you, a bitch. We share, we share so many, so many common tastes in music. Yet native you know. tongue is awesome, and subhuman look. Subhuman race is 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 mixed, but you can see the intent in what's happening. You know what I mean. Um, but native tongue's great. Ah, never man, ah, never man, ah, never man, ah, never man, ah, it's good. I, 
I don't mind that song, but yeah, not, not much other than that. But oh, yeah. no, there's some good stuff on there. Seven Days Over You. It, it's, it's a blues record. It's great. Strike Up the Band. Ain't That the Truth. Seven Days Over You. I oh, know I rate that one. I really like it. Oh, well, now that's my list. You motherfucker. All right, what have I got on here that I think you'll really like? You prick. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't. Mm. Um, all right, we talk, We started with Kiss, so I'll go back to Kiss. Carnival of Souls. I wondered if that would rear its head. Oh, man. It's just we've talked before about Kiss being a bit of a chameleon band and being able to sort of shift with the times and move with things a little bit, and, but it's a little bit contrived, and that one was just a bit too contrived. And I think... It's probably just as well that it wasn't the follow-up to Revenge, to be honest, because it's it's not good. It's not a good album. It's got a couple of a couple of okay songs on it, but it's not great. So I didn't yeah, enjoy jungle, that. Jungle's a cool song, but apart from that, there's not much on it. Nah, I don't enjoy that. Sticking with Kiss and them being a band that's made their career off live albums, I thought Alive Four. The symphony, Melbourne Symphony Orchestra, when they did, I thought that was a steaming turd. And you were at that show too. Did I was you not at enjoy that show. it on the night? No, I did not. I did not enjoy it on the night. Um, the it sound was awful. Bitsy. It it felt um, looking. It was at um, what is now known as Marvel Stadium, and the sound there is never good. Yeah, I've never I've never seen a good show there because the sound is so bad. It's made for sport, not for music. Hey, hey, did you ever see? Did you see George Michael when he played there? No, I almost went, and I wish I had. But no, that's talk about people that you wanted to would have liked to have seen in retrospect. But no, um, so I went to that night. I, I um, my sister, who's the one who got me into Kiss in the first place, um, flew over from New Zealand to see it. We went and saw it, and it was just. Even with this, without the sound issues, you sit there going, "This is not not great." They weren't at their best. It was a bit all over the place. Vocals were patchy. It just nah. and as an album, I don't think it works. And P- Peter had come back, and it was uh, and Tommy Thayer was the new guitar player, wasn't he? He so- was the guitar player, and Peter had come back because he wanted to sing Beth in front of an orchestra, basically, yeah. but he had zero interest in anything else. And it was chopped up into bits. They did sort of um, a bit where they just played as Kiss, then they did a bit with like a quartet, an acoustic thing, and then they did like the full symphony thing, and it just didn't didn't hit its stripes. I didn't think. It, it felt like a direct response to Metallica S&M, and it wasn't as good. Um, all right, who else have I got here? You know who we haven't talked about? Aerosmith. We've been talking about Aerosmith, and they have some very mixed output. Vintage or in latter day? Both, I reckon. Both. They, I mean, look, they've been around for, fuck, 40 years. So there's some up and down in both. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a few in there. I reckon um, Night in the Ruts is a bit of a low point. For them, I think it would be hard to argue that. I reckon Honkin' on Bobo was a bit of a 
I quite like that, but I felt oh. it was a bit of a I felt it was a throwaway, and it's the kind of album that people used to do on an off year or in between two big albums. It would it, it, it's not a big event. It's yeah. almost like a covers album or a it's, a, it's totally a covers album, but I don't, I don't, I don't even know that as that it works. Obligation, but it's it's okay. It's just, yeah. but I tell you, I reckon, and I think it's, I'm, I think I'm right in saying it's their last year. Um, music from another dimension was, uh, yeah, that was the end of their recording career, effectively. I think that's... And they've been talking about it yeah. as being a bit like rocks and you listen to it and it's like you just described Kiss. It was all over the show. It was a bit yeah. disjointed and... It's not it's not awful, you know what I mean? But it. But it's I, not particularly engaging either. No. I quite like um, Out Go the Lights. I thought it was quite good. <clears throat> but other than that, I couldn't um, give you anything. What's the, what's the song, Something Jesus? Um Please hold. It's yeah. got an old school. Jesus side. is on the main line. No, that's Honky on Bobo. Oh, okay. Um, catch up later. Okay. Uh, Street Jesus. Yes, I think that was quite good from memory. Sure. But. It was too long. It was too much filler. It was too disjointed. Yeah, hundred percent. And yeah. I think they, unfortunately, and and for a band that's been around for long as long as they have, this shouldn't happen, but it did. They had too many ballady type hits, and I think um, that don't want to miss a thing really fucking overtook what they tried to do from that point on a little bit and everything was kind of chasing that and it shouldn't be because you had, you know, 35 years behind you at that point. But it felt yeah. like everything from that point on was trying to just do that. Not great. I can jump outside the hard rocker genre if we'd like. Go for it. I'm looking at some tired faces. You guys are all sitting there going, shut up, Mike, for God's sake. What are you going to tell us about Andre Bocelli or... Uh... Well, look, I'm not, when I say outside rock, what I mean is outside the 80s glam dudes. Um, I'll tell you one that was a massive disappointment for me was Green Day doing 21st Century Breakdown, which was the album after American Idiot. And I thought American Idiot was brilliant. I really did. I really fucking dug that album. It's this massive, long, sweeping opus um, with songs merging into songs. And it was just great. And, you know, there's a broader musical of it now. There's all this stuff happening. And then they came out with that one afterwards. And I thought, man, it's just them trying to do this sort of mainstream pop thing that didn't work. What was the, the single off that album? 21 Guns, I think, was the single off it. Okay. Which made its way onto a Transformers soundtrack, if that gives you any idea of the quality of what was being shot for at that point. It the studio time. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, got, I got... Anyone else? Just no, me? No, you finish yours off. 
Fuck me drunk. I've got heaps. <laughs> Brian Adams, Ben, your favourite. I knew you were going to bring up Brian Adams at some point. Of course I was. <laughs> so Brian Adams, I think we could all agree, peaked. And when I say we all, I mean me and Leighton, because <laughs> Ben would argue that he never peaked. Um, but Waking Up the Neighbours was obviously his high point. Yep. yep. Yeah. Speaking of waking up. <laughs> right. And his very next album was 18 Till I Die, and it's not good. It's not a good album. It's, uh, it reeks of let's do that again, but without any of the um, creative stuff that made the first one work. Yeah. It's very con- it feels contrived. It feels a little bit. Yeah. I think he's he's since sort of gone on to um, <clears throat> do more sort of self-contained stuff and it works better for him. You know what I mean? Like waking up the neighbors and they toured and there were like 18 dudes on stage, three guitarists and all this sort of stuff, all making the sound that was made in the studio and trying to make it sound the way it did. I went and saw him live a few years after that, and it was him playing bass with a guitarist and a drummer, three dudes playing, and it was great, you know? Yeah, yeah. And albums he's done from that point on have been a bit more uh, introspective, I think, whereas 18 Till I Die sounded like I need to do Waking Up the Neighbours again, but the songs were a bit shite. Not good. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Ben, finish your list off, mate. What you got? I've got one more. Um, there's a few clangers in this catalogue, but the one where I think I kind of zoned out was Ozzy's first album and only album with Gus G on guitar called Scream. Came mm. out in about 2010. And he had had, there's, there was, a, I, I think his catalogue was pretty good up until, including Osmosis. In the mid Osmosis is great, yeah. Um, mm. No More Tears is great. Um, then there was a couple after that. There's one he put out in the midst of the, the TV show. There's one Black Rain a few years later, which was a bit... Black Rain's all right. It's got some good stuff on it. It's, it's got some bad stuff on it. Um, Zach being on it, and it was a different producer and things like that. Scream, I just went... The guitarist might have been good, but he wasn't Zach. And I think by that point, you, you, you can Zach's a bit of a force of nature personality-wise, and he's also a good match for Ozzy as a songwriter. And I just listened to the Scream sounded like a parody of an Ozzy album. Oh, now we need to do the first single, which needs to be, you know, it, it just sounded dumb, the whole album, and there was nothing about it that was engaging. And if you think back to the early, the Randy Rhodes albums or you No know, More Tears, the... The songwriting was always good. The production was good. And Scream just sounded, it sounded like someone saying, I'm going to go in and try and make an Aussie album. Yeah. I, I have to be honest, I, he'd lost me at that point as well. I, I don't even know that I've even listened to it, Ben. Obviously oh, not worth a listen. It's, um, I mean, he's still, the one Down to Earth, that's it, came in about 2001. That had some good stuff on it. It had a a couple of co-writes with Mick Jones from um, Foreigner. Yep. Um, Mm. It had some good production. Yeah, it it was okay. But, yeah, Scream, not so much. Mm. The title tracks are right. 
it felt too similar to the title track or the lead single from um, Down to Earth. I don't want to yeah. stop. Yeah, it was almost hundred percent. What did you get your five-year-old niece to write those lyrics? <laughs> and I, I never listened to Ordinary Man either, Ben. So, are you do you know that album at all or not? Yeah, I, do, I yeah, I did. I do know that album. It was a. Re- I'd call it a return to form. It's probably the best okay. thing you've done in twenty years. Um, and he's got another one due apparently. Yeah, right. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, how many times have you seen him, Ben, out of curiosity, live? Um, I saw him with you guys in 98. and then That was a great gig. And then I saw him, I've seen him twice with Black Sabbath, once in about 2013 and once the, the, the end tour in 2016. Right. So would you rush out to see him anymore or are you done as a fan? <clears throat> um, I actually bought tickets to see him in LA a few years ago and then it was postponed and then it was postponed again. And because I bought the tickets for a third-party company, I basically lost 500 bucks. <sighs> right. I, I wouldn't go and see him again. I would see Black Sabbath if they ever played again. But, yeah. No, I probably I wouldn't go and see him. Yeah. I'm a bit like that. I mean, look, I've seen him uh, yeah, probably three times, including the I mean, the one when we saw him with you, that was an epic night with Zach and Mike Inez and Randy Castillo and just felt like this, the old band, the old band had been brought back together, the No More Tears band. Uh, but yeah, last time I saw him, I just, he didn't do anything for me much at all. And it felt, felt like I'd seen it all before, you know? Yeah. Um, and you always want something a bit different when you see a band, uh, you know, for the fifth time or something, something that still get, keeps you excited, um, but not Mr. Osborne for me. I actually think, um, I think the person I have seen the most is Slash. I think I've seen Slash six or seven times all up. I've seen him with guns. I've seen him with Velvet Revolver. And I've seen him four or five times with a solo band. Well, yeah, right. And it's, it's always a bit different. It's, whereas Aussie, it, the, the set list these days is so predictable. Mm. Does yeah, the guns yeah. set list these days, does that get predictable or do they mix it up a bit? I've got tickets to the guns this year. Awesome. Do you? In Melbourne? Yeah. It was yeah, supposed yeah, to yeah. be last year and it was, well, was it the year before? Yeah. I've no, got no. tickets to that. And I've got tickets to Kiss, which has been bumped to August. August. Oh, there you go. This year? Yeah. Yeah, right. It was meant to be in March, but yeah, with WA not opening, they, they postponed again, yeah. So Guns is like November, yeah? Is that what we're... Yeah, I think it could even be like December the 1st or something. Yeah, right. It's at the G. Like, do they mix up their set list these days or do they just... Yeah, I think they do. I think mm. they do. I, they're, they, they've, they're one of those bands that've got enough of a catalogue that they can, you know. Yep. So you hope that they would. But and they've thrown a few deep cuts in there over the years as well because they've sort of been yeah. for six years now. Yeah. Um, they put out. They were putting out a series of things on YouTube during the lockdown of twenty twenty. Every couple of weeks, they put out some highlights from the past couple of years and. 
Um, yeah, there was some there's some good stuff there. It wasn't all predictable. Yep. Nice. I'd, I'd probably come over and, and join you two for guns if it was something where we were guaranteed to start oh, yeah. drinking at at, at nine thirty a.m. and oh, yeah. and uh, have well, a joint at about midday. Let's let make me, this happen. Let's let make this happen. See, let me just see my tickets and if they're let's have a look here. General admission or are you seated somewhere? I'm, that's what I'm looking for. Guns and Roses. The Victorian government has invested a lot of money in this and people aren't happy about it. So let's make them happy by enjoying our night out. Well, see, so they are doing Eden Park over here, which is going to be quite a spectacle as well. They've never done Eden Park. Uh, and in fact, there's only ever been one other show at Eden Park uh, in recent history. So, um, yeah, don't, it's even more enticing. You guys come here. The, the residents around Eden Park typically don't like that sort of thing. No, they got they? They, they, they got an okay for five um, five shows a year or some such thing. Okay, yeah, right. so, right, that was yes yeah, Saturday the third of December twenty twenty two. Let's see if I can find my. Well, hang on. Uh, I might. I might uh, we've we've clicked off. We're all happy with the. The bands that we've talked yeah. about, we've, du we've dug the boots in as much as yeah. we want to. Because I've, I've got 20 other bands here that release shit albums too. So, no, no, we're all good. Oh, there's, okay. there's no sort of shit albums out there. No, that's true. Okay. Well, why don't you quickly throw them out though, uh, Mike, just, just for others' comments. Oh, geez. Um, Red Hot Chili Peppers, One Hot Minute. That was their follow-up to Blood Sugar Sex Magic, which was... You know, took the world by storm, and then they came out with that. With Dave Navarro, was it? Yeah, yeah, it wasn't good. Yeah. Um, as much as I hate Sound Soundgarden, down the upside, I really hated. Didn't like oh, that. I love that album. Oh, I don't like <laughs> it. It's just, it's a dirge. Everything on it is. Dun, 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 dun. When you've come off Super Unknown, which was this supercharged, amazing thing, I felt like it was a real letdown. Um, 6 a.m. First album, so fucking great. Uh, second album, pretty good. Third album, modern, modern vintage. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm out. I'm out. And they did a couple after that the prayers for the damned and the prayers for the blessed, which sort of had their hits and misses. But modern vintage was the one that made me go, oh, no. Nah. Yeah. Um, Skid Row did a couple of albums without Baz, which I thought were pretty freaking average. Thick skin and revs per minute. Nothing on there that really floated my boat. Jeez, oh, we can go a bit more mainstream. You two have had some pretty pretty average output. Zuropa. No, I love Zuropa. Okay. I love Zeropa. I, th I thought um, Uptown Baby and Zeropa were great. Um, pop, I don't have a lot of time for. Um, but then they sort of came back and they did, uh, oh, geez, all that you can't leave behind them with Beautiful Day on it and stuff. That was good. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Then they punted it on our iPhone and everyone got pissed off because they got annoyed. Well, they they did the how to dismantle the atomic bomb, which was which was okay. And then I think the one after was it the one after that? The No Line on the Horizon, or was it one of the songs of one they did these two songs of albums that weren't great? Anyway, it it feels like I'm shooting fish in a barrel now. Yeah, you know who else had a bad album? Michael Jackson. He put out some bad albums. Well, there you have it, folks. The great debate by the Wish We'd Become Rockstars podcast team of Mike, Ben, and I of shit albums by great bands. Do you agree? Doesn't matter whether you do or not, but we'd love to hear your comments. And don't forget, subscribe now for the next episode. See you soon. Wait, you. I'm mad.